It's past my bedtime, dude. Hello, hi, welcome, salut, to It's Past My Bedtime, Dude. Today we have on CL, a producer, a DJ, an event organizer, a pianist, and also someone with a great fashion sense. CL started with a college radio station show that transformed into an event series called Work in Progress that was focused on bringing gender parity to lineups. Her unique DJ style, moving between different electronic subgenres like acid and house and techno, that we've been hearing a lot more from her lately, have made her a staple in the underground club scene in Toronto and taken her to play at places like, I don't know, you may have heard of it, Bergine, to school in Amsterdam, and Movement Detroit, the festival. She also produces really, really beautiful, wonderful music. I have a bone to pick with her because the club scene she's been a part of building up has snatched my sleep over the years. It's time for her to pay up. So after her last Toronto gig, after a European tour, in the back of some warehouse and God knows fucking where, I was about to take some of her sleep at 2am with a chat. Hello, thanks for having me. First of all, how do you feel after playing the show? Uh, I think it went pretty well. Um, The background for the show is I've known Fahad for a long time. He runs Format. Uh, We used to kind of work together when I ran this party series with my friend Brian Wong called It's Not You, It's Me. We did a lot of stuff with other promoters that were already doing things in Toronto and always really like Fahad but like I felt like especially back then his scene felt very different from mine I was not really playing techno I started out playing really more like house and ambient um at least in Toronto and I'm at this juncture in my career where um I'm playing a lot in Europe that of course affects my style and you know when I first started playing in Europe back in 2018 At that point, I only really had played like opening sets for the most part. Like I would say like 90% of the sets I had played that was in my experience were opening for other DJs. And I never, no one ever taught me that like, oh, you have to like learn to play a headlining set when you play in Europe. Mm. And uh, I think it took a few years of eating shit in Europe, to be honest, (laughs) like getting heckled when I DJ. French people yelling, Alez, 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 like, which means like, let's go, let's go. Like the complaining that you're playing too soft or too slow. And like, there were lots of times where I felt like really embarrassed and, but you know, it's part of it. It's part of, uh, builds character. And, uh, I just felt like the last few years I have found it challenging to play how I play in Europe here yeah I think people want to you know it's a mixed bag when and a a double-edged sword when you come up in a city and you get a lot of support from people and I felt really appreciative of like all the people in Toronto who's like supported me since my early days but those people also have this idea of like what kind of DJ I am and they want they think of me as like the chill DJ or like someone that's like playing like uh you know I don't know 
more mid-tempo stuff, not like headlining, banging, whatever, where the few times when I do do that, I feel like people are, at least at my parties, they seem confused or like they're like maybe just like not sure what to do because people have expectations about you and uh, that's fine. But DJing is not the same thing as making music. I think when you're creating something, it's good to have a style. Uh, and of course, it's good to have a style when you DJ, but that doesn't mean you just play one genre. And I basically was like, Fahad, will you book me to play at your techno party? So people can see that I actually can play techno because I play a lot in Europe. In Europe, you also have to play longer. You know, it's quite common to play four hour sets. That really is like my kind of favorite length. And doing that also got me to learn how to combine all the different genres I like to play in like one, which I never get to do that here. Most sets here are like 90 minutes, you know? And, but anyways, long story short, uh, he gave me, he was like, of course, of course you can play. And um, I'm glad I got to got to do that because I don't know when I bang it out like this for at my own parties I I don't it's almost like a blessing and a curse because uh, that's like what it's like to be an artist people want to pigeonhole you in, into it yeah. that's really interesting because we actually come back to that conversation a lot with our guests which is about fan expectations as a producer as a creator and as a DJ playing for a crowd, when you are exploring your art, when you are transitioning into other genres, when you are versatile like yourself, where you're mixing in with different sounds and bringing them together, but also dealing with fans who are like, oh, but they used to play this and I'm used to them playing this, now what's this? And how do you, you know, kind of stand your ground and make that transition, but also like you, obviously you respect your fans and they've been with you on the come up. So it's, you're kind of balancing it's kind of a balance act with that as well so it's it's a really difficult place to be sure um where i wanted to um go where i wanted to ask you i felt like it'd be so inappropriate for me to like go into this interview and not congratulate you Eris drew a couple of i don't know very recently announced that she's starting a new label vinyl only but also connect uh, with cassettes um her first release on that label won't be her own music. It's going to be your music, which I'm so thrilled for you. That's incredible. How did that come together? Um, well, she hit me up like in the pandemic in 2021. We've known each other and have been friends for like three years up until this point. And I was honestly surprised uh, that she asked me because like, you know, we always really connected and uh were really great friends and we've played together but I just always felt like I wasn't really at her level you know she's blown up in the last few years but she's a veteran she's been doing this for a really long time in Chicago and it was quite intimidating the one time we B2B together in Chicago and I was like train wrecking so bad I was like oh my god this is horrible. <laughs> were you actually train wrecking was, or was it your thoughts I was actually train wrecking <laughs> um but you know, whatever train wrecks happen, uh, but part of the process. Part of the process. Uh, but yeah, she asked me, and I was like, "Oh, that's actually like I'm blown away by that. That's amazing." And she told me that I was the the catalyst for her starting this this label um, because I had put out so much music during the pandemic that were Bandcamp only. She was like, "I really think 
these should be on vinyl. They're really amazing. And she told, she pitched to me which tracks she wanted to put out. And then uh, we figured out the track listing and it was a huge honor. Like, I think up until this point, uh, it had taken me a really long time to gain a sense of confidence about my production. Uh, But the pandemic, you know, I know it was really hard for a lot of people, but I actually love lockdowns. I think uh, for me, I'm kind of like an extroverted introvert. And the older I get, the more introverted I am. And I was really burned out before the pandemic with touring. The touring and existing in this industry is like kind of insane. It makes people feel insane. It makes me feel insane. And like the competitiveness and always wondering like, why am I not doing this? Or why did I get left out of that? Was like enough to make anyone feel like bad about themselves. Touring is great, but it's not something I want to do for a long time. And to me, I'm the happiest when I'm like at home and playing around home. During the week, I could just go to the studio every day and make music. And I really like that kind of regimented day-to-day work. And during the pandemic, like I worked on so many releases, but I also like wrote my album I got a grant from the government to do that, which like saved my life really financially uh, when we weren't really making any income. And uh, it just gave me a huge sense of self-confidence that I never really had about my production. I also did my first live set at Mutech uh, in 2021. And so I am a producer before, first and foremost, uh, then a DJ. I always thought I would be DJ first, producer second, but DJing, while amazing, I feel like it's a very uh, momentary kind of, uh, you know, happy feeling, and then it's over, and it's not really that fulfilling. You know, making music, it's like, I can't put into words how satisfied and good it feels to finish a song and be really into it and excited about it and actually like can't wait to play it in a DJ set it makes me more excited to DJ DJing you know I've been doing it for a really freaking long time I'll always love DJing but like to me it's almost like short-term gains like uh you have these great moments you could also have really shit moments. You know, not every DJ set is like what we just had now. You know, I would say a lot of my sets when I'm on tour are not good. I don't feel good about them. Maybe they're fine, but like, I just don't have that confidence when I'm out there like I do here. Basically just to say that like, uh, her wanting to put it out, it was very affirmative at a time when things I wasn't even sure if I was ever even going to tour again, to be honest, when the pandemic was happening. I was like, oh, God, it's like, who even knows? Like, maybe I should just try to focus on making the music stuff. So when she was like, I want to do this compilation and it's like uh, almost like a best of of like and I was like, wow, that's like that's so that's it is so nice. really affirming. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. It's in yeah. that period of like trying to figure out what's your next move and. I guess some of a little bit feeling like uninspired from the DJing and where that's headed. 
and feeling like producers, kind of what you like, getting that affirmation that you're making the right decision and what you're enjoying. Yeah, it was is so encouraging. It yeah. was really encouraging, and she's somebody I've really looked up to for a long time. And yeah. she has a much bigger platform than me, so I really appreciated the fact that she was willing to take a chance on that. And I worked with a local uh, Toronto artist to, uh, I art directed the cover as she illustrated it. I saw that on your Instagram. Yeah. I'm like super into it. I'm happy with how it turned out. My only fear is that it's going to take away some of the shine from when I actually release my real (laughs) debut album. Not like the, (laughs) we've got, we're in a, we're in a room back here with some, uh, drinks and stuff so it, it it's all good <laughs> but no i totally hear what you're saying in uh, in terms of you know sort of articulating how you feel when making music i can i mean i assume i i can understand some of the joy in that when you're djing especially when you're if you're mixing other people's music there's there is a lot of creativity and a lot of work that goes into that there's a lot of joy but something about creating something that's yours that never existed in the world before and like building something that was never there from scratch and then kind of like putting a nice little bow on it and kind of bringing it to the world and getting to play with it play it at your own show even is sorry really beautiful yeah i mean like i feel like music making is therapeutic in ways that most DJ sets are not like some of them are some DJ sets are therapeutic and you kind of feel like your brain has reset at the end of a really great DJ set but those happen like once or twice a year making music even on days where I feel like I didn't really get the best results it and like for example this past January I felt like I had a whole month of feeling really kind of creatively blocked and I had never felt creatively blocked since I started making music. And I think part of the reason was that I had sort of gotten into this rut with my workflow where I was using the same tools all the time, starting my projects the same way. But all it took was like, I'm gonna use this new piece of gear that I've never used before. I'm gonna use this plugin that I've never used before. I'm going to start this track in a completely different way. And it almost felt too easy to unblock myself. And because I also make music with other people, I feel like there's something that's really special about that process as well, where, I don't know, it's 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 something just like the, the co- combining of different energies and also trying to compromise and figure out like where you could meet in the middle. Uh, you know, there's people that I've worked with that honestly their solo music is not really like my absolute favorite. But then when we work together, it's like something new is created. That's like the, you know, a little bit from you, a little bit from me, yeah. and then you create something new. Yeah. And that's really surprising and wonderful. And like, it also teaches me to get along with people better. I think that that's like, an invaluable skill as well. DJing is almost kind of a solitary uh, experience. You're up there, everybody's watching you and it's like, uh, you know, like, and like I said earlier before the interview started, there are a lot of things about DJ culture that I find really cringe. It's like this like celebrity worship of like, 
oh my god you're so cool like oh i'm wearing my designer outfit and i'm like uh you know on the cover of dazed and you know i'm wearing head to toe like prada and like and to be honest like i kind of hate all of that i think it's really disgusting so many places i want to take you on i'm so happy you're just doing it i'm just not into it like i think I want to be successful as a DJ, but I feel like there's a lot more element of like, you have to sell your soul Mm -hmm. to get to a level of success where like I could buy a house, you know, like I never thought I could buy a house. Uh, I worked in publishing before made $27,000 a year. It was not a thing that you could buy a house with, but you know, once I started to DJ more, I was like, Oh, maybe I could actually, you know, pool my money with my boyfriend and we could put a down payment on a condo that would be sick you know but like to get to that level of money as a dj i feel like you have to do all sorts of bullshit that's like fucking annoying you know you gotta i don't know like i started getting sent clothes from labels now like they'll they'll hit me up and they're like oh we want to send you our uh new line and I'm like oh hell yeah that's great I love free shit and then I'm like oh wait am I gonna become one of those DJs that's like posting a picture yes. in front of the club and being like I'm wearing blah 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 Thanks blah blah to XYZ. I'm, like, I'm like I hate that that's like to me not what underground culture is about but as DJing has become more commercialized and like more and more popular we're like absorbing a lot of things from more commercial spaces like EDM to be honest I think EDM experience is kind of like bubble bursting in the last few years and a lot of those people migrated into techno and into house and more underground scenes and that's cool that's fine you know I'm not like a snob about that but I think there is just this lacking in this like ethos uh that i personally found really special about dance music and it was what drew me to underground dance music was this sort of like iconoclastic very anti-establishment anti selling out commercialized you know and like that's how it started that's where the yeah, culture began like rave what is a rave it was counterculture. now people call ultra Rave. A rave and I'm like that's not a fucking rave that's a corporate festival and it's not a rave and and you know it's a far far pla- like place from you know the free parties of like the 90s when people would just throw crazy raves in a field and people would go and there'd be like 5,000 people and like and they're playing really weird music you know just like bizarre 150 BPM like loopy Gabber, I don't even know, like yeah. uh, mixed with like hardcore. Yeah. So, I guess because of that's basically a roundabout way of saying that, like, I don't know. I feel kind of disillusioned about a lot of DJ culture, like on a purely, um, like purely DJs. You know, I think I always like DJs that actually produce music <laughs> as well. I just think it makes you more round, well-rounded as a as a DJ and it also makes me feel like I don't know that you're interested in more than just like being or like the center of attention because making music is like it takes a lot of patience and like uh, dedication and like 
banging your head against the wall and getting nothing and you have to really really want it and really love it to want to dedicate it yourself to that whereas like DJing has very quick rewards you know you you take a crash course in one year of practicing on CDJs and all of a sudden you're like mixing like you know 90s techno and just feeling so great about yourself and it's like yeah I'm like I'm that bitch you know I'm like I'm out there I'm doing that but like people turn on you so quickly uh, on the dance floor one minute you're hot the next minute they're heckling at you they're heckling you and telling you that was the worst DJ set I've ever seen Uh, you know I've actually had that's never thank god never happened to me but I have friends who DJ in Europe and in Europe it's fucking crazy out there people will say that to you they do not give a fuck Amsterdam, I can see it happening. They, in in Germany, they will tell you, <laughs> I don't know, are you lost? Like, th- like, should you be here? Like, I've actually had friends tell me that people would say that, like, to them about how much they hated their DJ sets and stuff like that. So, yeah. I don't hate DJing. I love DJing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different energy. You, again, went to so many places that I wanted to go to, so, like, thank you. Um, but I'm going to pry a little bit more on some of the things. One of the things you were talking about were was collaborations. I know you were talking about how DJing can be a little bit competitive, and you were talking about the collaborative side when you're making music, and I sense that's kind of the, a nice relief, too, when you're making music. It's less of this competitive nature, because you get to collaborate with yeah. other artists, and yeah. you're kind of in the same boat together trying sure. to make this work. Generally, your collaborations, though, are really great. But I wonder, for someone who's such a versatile artist in terms of their sounds, you're not, it's not just like techno in the abrasive or the floor way, but we're hearing acid, we hear the breaks and the acid breaks, we hear house from you. When you're that versatile, I, I, I sense that collaborating with you, whoever collaborates with you really cherishes how versatile you are. But I wonder for you, how difficult it is to maintain the essence of you when you have such versatility. Is it difficult to narrow down what it is you're trying to achieve on a track? Well, I think I think I don't really worry about it that much because I always bring a part of me almost in spite of myself. Uh, even if I wa- didn't want to make a Cindy track, uh, I end up making a, a Cindy track. I'm just like, I think if it comes from you, you can't fake it. So I'm not so concerned about that. Uh, and anyway, I feel like the beauty of collaboration is that it's not necessarily about you or the other person. It's about what the two of you make together that's totally new. And I also tend to pick people to make music with who are also really into a diversity of styles. And so in that case, it's always really good to be extra communicative before you start working to be like, this is what I want to make. Let's, you know, have a plan of how to get there because you might each have your own idea about what you want to make. And it's like playing a B2B set, you know, you have to communicate with the DJ that you're B2Bing. When I first started B2Bing, I thought that like 
people didn't really talk. They were just going with the vibe. But actually, all the DJs that are really good at B2Bing, they plan ahead of time. They, like, share their playlists with each other. They talk about, like, what kind of energy they want to bring, what genres they want to play, where they want to start, and how they want to end. Those are, that's what being a professional is about, you know, open communication. So making music is kind of like that. But sometimes, you know, it's it's harder to have happy accidents when there's more than one person. Because what is a happy accident to you might not be a happy accident to the other person. And you're just constantly negotiating the differences in your likes and dislikes versus that person. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's really hard. Like, I just wrote an EP uh, in Berlin on tour with a very good friend of mine. And it's almost harder to make music with someone you're very close with than it is to make music with somebody that you kind of just only make music together. Right. Because you really care about them and you care about, like, you know, their feelings. Yeah. And so part of the studio process is, like, spent worrying about things that maybe I wouldn't be worrying about if I was making music with someone I didn't know Mm -hmm. as well you know what I mean it's like the old like don't work with your friends because it's just it's really difficult for the feedback for sure like yeah and then we're disagreeing about lots of you know because that person as well as myself we both have very strong opinions about what we like and what we dislike and there is some overlap between our styles but there's also tons that don't overlap at all and so I feel like the first few days of working together was just us trying to negotiate those differences and trying to figure out how we could compromise how to stand our ground about being firm about what we like and don't like while not being like a fascist and I think by the end we are like just so in love with each other because we made something that was really amazing and it took time to get there you know we'd be banging our head against the wall for like hours and then something would click and then it was like yay we did it and then it just felt like so invigorating and like it also made us feel closer together like friendship wise and I just remember watching all those like (laughs) uh, like Project Runway like the or like Top Chef, all those like competition reality shows where uh, uh, like every time they did the episode where it's like team challenges, everyone would freak out and be like, oh my God, I can't do this. And they would have a meltdown. And I'm like, now, like I didn't understand it back then because I wasn't creating. Now I am creating. I create with like, I'm like a collaboration whore to be honest if I can even say that word I'll collaborate with anybody uh-huh. uh, and and I think now I really look down at those people that are like I can't collaborate oh my god the world is ending because I think if you can't do that then like I think it's there's something frightening because I think when people are used to having so much control themselves even in making music they have yeah. so much control creating their own music when they have to collaborate it's like oh fuck now i have to compromise now i have to communicate right. now i have to negotiate now i have to give feedback it seems terrifying and it's like how do i relinquish this control yeah. and 
Yeah. And uh, I also think that our society, the way that we conceive of art and artists and what makes like a genius art artist versus a non-genius artist is that like people are obsessed with the idea of like having a singular vision, someone that is like very singular in their approach. Like somebody who like only plays techno. Speciality is like something that's very prized in the art world. But I actually am opposed to that because I think people are complicated and we have layers and we're interested in more than one thing. And I think I would kill myself if I had to spend my entire life just making one style of music and just DJing one style of music. Cause like, what is the point of living if you can't like, I don't know, like taste everything. Yeah. I do think there's definitely a thing in the culture where there seems to be a lot of currency placed on artists who create one kind of music. And it's one very particular sound. But when you think of the artists who've had a lot of longevity in their career, who what I think amazing body of work with an amazing yes. body that ultimately even people with that opinion have a hold in high regard have a lot of respect sure. for don't tend to have one sound they no. are they have an extensive set of sounds yeah. that they glue together and do a really good because job at bringing just together like, just like their their lives their careers also grow right they learn things and like that's also like why I love to collaborate because I learn from other people and I think that's so important uh I think we tend to in electronic music we're obsessed with this like this like person who does everything you know DJ producer uh arranger uh composer musician uh sound engineer that you do everything and like you do everything yourself because I guess because that's sort of the DIY spirit, you know, that we, but like, I actually think that like, it's kind of psychotic because it's not like how the rest of the world is that if you make music in any other genre, you're collaborating with other people. And I also think that's the thing about like DJs and DJ culture, underground dance music culture. People are really afraid to admit that they can't do something. Mm -hmm. It's like... I, no, yeah, yes, that was the first thought. I was like, I was reading an interview you did about when you started making music and how it was kind of like you started learning Ableton and then a couple of months later you kind of had your first release that came out, but you were talking about learning and playing around with Ableton and like not feeling like an expert right off the bat, going back to a friend and like letting them hear some of your stuff and taking that feedback and working on it. And I, I was reflecting on my own reaction to reading that because I was like I have never heard anyone who DJs produces anyone talk about working through Ableton and learning Ableton and getting feedback from anybody in the community on what their music sounds like because it's very much like I did this I came out of the womb knowing how to do all of this shit like I've been amazing from the start no one can say anything different you just don't hear any other perspective i just feel like that's very egotistical and not like reflective of reality yes i mean like i learned music from a very young age because i was trained uh and i'm used to thinking of music as something that like you learn from like a teacher i'm not a self-taught pianist you know i i learned that like i went to school for it with production people think that like you know you gotta like just 
learn how to do it yourself. There's like this weird thing with B2Bs where like some DJs are really protective of their stuff where like they're playing with somebody and their track is falling out of sync, right? Okay. And they'll feel some type of way if their DJ partner fixes their platter. Okay. To make it not out of sync, you know? Oh. Some DJs will hate that. Some DJs will be like, don't touch my platter, even though we're literally playing together. <laughs> yeah. We're a team. And if you are train wrecking, it reflects poorly on the both of us. Yeah. And I remember just like last weekend I played in Hornigan. I can't pronounce it. Hornigan? Yeah, it's like G R O N I N G E N, but it's pronounced Hornigan or something. Yeah, yeah. I played there. It was amazing. I played this festival. And then after I played, my friend was also playing the festival. And they asked me and my friend to B2B at the after party. I was like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And we we're like playing together. And then there's one point where like, he was mixing and it was kind of falling out of sync. Not gonna lie. It was a little bit uh, getting to be gada, 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 yeah. you know? Yeah, and yeah. then I was standing in front of my CDJ. He was standing in front. And so I started moving my platter in the opposite direction to try to ma- yeah, match yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And he saw, and I was doing it a very low key way. Uh-huh. I didn't want people to see that I was fixing it for him, but he saw me and he was like, thank you. Oh. I was like, oh, thank, I appreciate you not freaking out at me <laughs> for doing this. Because some people are, like, really sensitive about It's just very competitive. I think DJing overall and, like, people feel constantly defensive about their place in this world because there's so many people that want to be DJs. And, you know, I've been there. I've definitely felt weird about someone touching my platter. But I... That was a long time ago when I didn't have nearly the amount of like self-confidence that I do now about my DJ. Now, if somebody did that, whatever, you know, go off. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there's some insecurity related to that, too. Right. When especially if you're starting off, there's a lot of competition. It seems like there's a lot of DJs, especially as a woman, you feel really easily triggered about like are people insinuating that like I don't belong here? Yeah. But sometimes in a way where like I'm almost overthinking it, like they actually don't mean anything negative at all, but I perceive it to be because I'm already kind of like I got my defenses up, you know? And I feel like it took me a long time of doing this and like paying my dues or whatever before I I sort of lost that oversensitivity. I still get sensitive about stuff absolutely um but a lot of the stuff that used to really make me feel like unsure about myself i don't i don't get there anymore that's a good place to be sure yeah yeah yeah. and i hope producing i guess has provided some of that yeah i think that was the thing yeah definitely is like there were yeah uh as someone who's been djing for a little bit now and more recently started experimenting with making music this really resonated with me which is I realize that the music I make is different from the music I typically DJ. And when I made that transition, I felt like it would be this very easy, it would be connected, they would work well together, I'd start playing my own music. 
but it's hard to articulate but that's not what happened like the no. music I was making is different from the stuff I sure. DJ in some ways and I read somewhere again paraphrasing but something about how when you started making music as well it's a little bit different from what you usually DJ and you're working on sort of bridging that difference it's hard for me to articulate why that happens. Do you have any idea what's your theory on that? Of course, it's very that? easy to explain why that happens. Because the thing that you use to make music versus the thing that you use to DJ are totally different things. You know, making music and DJing are not the same thing. And a lot of times when you're making music, you have this urge to, you're almost like, beholden to the experience of creation itself and sometimes things just kind of happen accidentally yeah. or if you're like me for example I'm a product of my musical education and for most of my life I wasn't listening to techno and so I can't just get rid of that part of me and so a lot of the times when I first started making music I was making very melodic stuff it took me it was also the lack of skill, the lack of technical understanding of like, okay, I can write a melody for like a pop melody, but how do you write a techno melody? What makes something more suitable for that? What makes something more suitable for this? And that won't happen right away. You have to like learn more to get there, you know? And that's, that's fine. You know, that's totally okay. I think I remember like my second EP, I was like obsessed with this idea of like, I will never use an arpeggiator because I am a classically trained musician. So I'm going to write out this entire arp. I'm going to write it out note by note. Yeah. So like my, my second record has this like breakbeat song that has this like, it has this arp. I wrote that note by note wow. and then like the commitment. Yeah. Programmed it in. Yeah. Now I write lots of arps that are not note by note yeah. programmed in. I, because I feel like what's the point of that? What is, there's no, what am I adding? Exactly. Yeah. yeah I mean, it might be more unique yeah. to, but you can use the tools to make it more unique without having to write right. the note like one by one. It's just one. some weird mental It's a weird mental thing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're a product of our circumstances and our background, our experience. And you might feel like you kind of have to get it out. You have to get out the stuff that you want to make, that like you feel inclined to make, that you don't necessarily feel inclined to play. But it's part of the road of like getting there. You know, you have to do something for a million times before you learn it. And maybe that's part of your process, you know? Like I've been making music since 2017, it's now 2023, and I feel like it's only within the last year that I've been able to make music that I would actually play my DJ sets. So that's, I mean, that's really encouraging to hear. So. <laughs> Thank you. I think it's uh, something about electronic music as well. I think it's gotten this like, cred and it's probably changing but for a long time was like oh it's just laptop music they're just what are they it's not real music and I think there's something that like latched on the back of my head as someone who's also like classically trained in a sense on piano and guitar and whatever so I'm like oh I can't use an arpeggiator I gotta put this in myself and prove that 
I'm yeah. actually doing something. That's and your it's inner Luddite speaking. Yes. Yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's internalized. Yeah. Someone like you, again, we're talking about versatility, lots of different sounds. You play around with a lot of sounds. I feel like other artists like yourself, other performers like yourself, other musicians like yourself um, are often, they, they have a really keen sense of the culture, the music scene, the sounds um, that people resonate with, that resonate with people internationally, what's working, what's not working, both in the underground, both in the mainstream. And if they so wish to make something that appeals more to the masses, they do a really great job at it. Has there ever been a temptation to say, fuck it, it would be so much easier if I just started making music more for the masses or started collaborating with someone more in the mainstream? Uh, I mean, I don't hate pop music. Uh, I definitely, I just made an edit of the Skrillex, of a Skrillex song from his album that like, for some reason, got like so many downloads and people were really like stoked about it. And I never thought that I would like a Skrillex song, yeah. but I love yes. the Skrillex album. Yes. I think it's so good. And like, yeah. And I'm really a believer in judging music for what it is and not like who the artist is or what they've done before. You know, every new record you put out, you should be judged based on that in itself. And I think actually it's really hard to write a nice pop song that having that a pop sensibility is a thing most people lack that make underground dance music. And uh, it's actually like not something that I would poo poo at because I think it's something that is really challenging and difficult. And I remember on my last EP, I tried to write a pop song and it was such a massive failure. And it ended up turning into like a really nice track. It was like the fifth track on the EP. And like people really loved it, but like the experience just taught me that like, you know, there are a lot of things that seem really simple, but the things that are the simplest are often the most difficult to get right, you know? I appreciate that. And I think sometimes, yeah, same with pop music, there is a lot of difficulty to, I think, create something that does appeal to a large group of people. Sure. Like it is something difficult to, I think, get right. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. You have a label, Parallel Minds, uh, releasing music that's really spotlight spotlighting Toronto artists on that. So you do have somewhat of a hand, I guess, in shaping kind of the underground club culture in Toronto. You've been involved in it for a while. Where do you think it's headed and where do you wish to see it head? Um, I wish there were more producers here. I think we have a big problem here. It's a lot of people that are DJs and want to be stars. And to me, that is, we can't have a scene of just DJs and no producers. You know, who are you going to play in your sets? <laughs> you know, when you think about it and like, what's the difference between here and Montreal? What makes Montreal such a cool scene is because there's tons of music that's coming out of there. And I think we have a long way to go. I think there are really amazing producers here, but I'm kind of still waiting and looking for more women that are producing music that we find like, like I'm always asking my female friends who are DJs, when are you gonna start 
do you, I'll give you an Ableton lesson. Like, I'm always like, yo, come on over. Let me teach you how to use Ableton. I want all my girlfriends to start making music. But, like, I don't know what it is about here. I feel like maybe it's just, like, the, the, the stress of living in this city. Everything costs so much fucking money, and everyone has a full-time job. It's really hard to find time to make music. Um, and making music is not glamorous like DJing. DJing, like I said, is short-term gains. But I swear to you that the feeling that you get from like actually making something that you're really happy with that you can play is like so much more special than, at least for me. I mean, some people just genuinely love being the center of attention and they're not interested in producing. That's fine. More power to them. But I think if we want the city to be a world-class scene, we need to actually have more producers, you know, more producers that are like blowing up and doing things. DJs need to be producing music all the time. I don't think, I don't buy into this idea that there are producers and there are DJs. Uh, you can't, uh, that not all DJs should be producers. Producers aren't like some magical peacock unicorns that are like born out of the womb, like ready to produce. You know, I never thought I would be doing this. The only reason that that's the only thing that sets me apart from other people is that I like really wanted to do it. We have much to improve in that arena. So that's that's kind of my thought like about that. it. You heard it here first. We need more producers in Toronto and then hit up CL when you've got. Some yeah. Good. Send me your demos. Send me your demos. <laughs> about to get booted out of here so i'm gonna wrap this up thanks for listening thanks for being on the show cl it was really great speaking with you nice to talk to you thanks for having me and uh good night good night everybody speaking to cl was inspirational and encouraging very therapeutic actually she's so open and honest about things Producers really shouldn't feel weird about sharing, but it's great to hear it. She's really generous about sharing her thoughts and reflections. CL's first event series, Work in Progress, I think is such an apt way to describe her. She's proudly a work in progress, constantly evolving her perspective, her approach, what music is for her. And I think something we should probably all be doing as well, regardless of what work we're doing. Creative work doesn't happen overnight. We know this. It's a process and your work will always be a work in progress. We are always changing and so will our music, as CL was talking about. Frankly, I'm not saying anything mind-blowing here, but it's just refreshing to hear it out loud and so explicitly when I think the scene is often so saturated with producers flexing how great they are at what they do. Be a little humble, bitches. So thank you, CL. We talked about her upcoming release on Aeris Drew's new label, Ecstatic Editions. She's out on tour again and just released a track with CFCF, which I found out about as I'm recording this. All those links are in the description. So check them out. Make sure to rate the pod the pod if you'd like i'll see you in a few